All right. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres and I'm your host. And this episode is titled Change Part One, The Present. I'm going to start off by reading a definition of the word existentialism. Existentialism is a loose title for various philosophies that emphasize certain common themes, the individual, the experience of choice, and the absence of rational understanding of the universe with a component, uh, con- excuse me, consequent dread or sense of absurdity in human life. The combination suggests an emotional tone or mood rather than a set of deductively related theses. And existentialism attained its zenith in Europe following the disenchantments of the Second World War. However, the first significant thinker to stress such themes was Kierkegaard, whose work is generally regarded as the origin of existentialism. Existentialist writer writing both reacts against the view that the universe is a closed, coherent, intelligible system and finds the resulting contingency a cause for lamentation. In the face of an indifferent universe, we are thrown back upon our own freedom. Acting authentically becomes acting in the light of the open space of possibilities that the world allows. Different writers who united in stressing the importance of these themes—excuse me, these themes—nevertheless developed very different ethical and metaphysical systems as a consequence. A lot of rules. In Heidegger, existentialism turns into scholastic ontology. In Sartre, into a dramatic exploration of moments of choice and stress. In the theologians Bart, Tillich, and Boltman, it becomes a device for reinventing the relationships between people and God. Existentialism never took firm root outside of continental Europe, and many philosophers have voiced mistrust of particular existentialist concerns, for example, with being and non-being, or with the libertarian flavor of of its analysis of free will. That's just the definition that they wrote. And uh, I remember studying that when I was in college, during philosophy classes. And when I read that definition, and I read uh, how metaphysical and philosophical systems were developed as a consequence, that's what it felt like when I was studying. It's like, wow, these these some of these philosophers have more rules than some of these religions. And I'm not saying there's there's nothing. I'm not saying anything. Uh, not against philosophy. Not against religions. I'm not against existentialism. I can understand why it's taken on more of a mood. Why that definition describes it as something that's taken on more of a mood instead of an analytical way of thinking. It becomes more apathy. When you read when you read that definition, it reads like apathy. And in the 1990s, the 1990s were full of apathy. And existentialism did make a... a, a I don't know, maybe it's because I was going through college at that time for my undergrad. I don't seem to have run into it the way I do, except for now, except now in the 2020s, 
that term specifically, existentialism or existential, existential needs, daily needs, like your present day needs. And when you read that definition, it's kind of bleak, you know, we're thrown back into our freedom and the absurdity of human life on this earth. And you see how people have tried to use these philosophical terms to angle in and reach people for faith and not faith, both. And it's all about people. Change, part one, the present, is about people. What we believe. Why do we believe what we believe? Have we looked at what we believe and looked at the hard parts that are hard for us to understand about what we believe? And I'm, I'm speaking to people, not just Christians, I'm talking to all people. Because everybody's believing something, thinking about that belief and then speaking and acting on it. All right, I'm going to try this on for you too. The word Greek word metanoia means change your mind. Metanoia, M-E-T-A-N-O-I-A, -E -A -A, I think I spelled that right, <clears throat> means change your mind. Change your mind. And in the Bible, specifically the New Testament, it's used... It's translated as repent. And it's usually used with the idea that it means say you're sorry. And everybody can say they're sorry. But have they changed the way they think about that thing? Because that's where the, uh, as the cliche goes, that's where the rubber meets the road. Have you changed your mind about that thing? <clears throat> now, of course, this is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. So, you know, I'm talking about specifically, but more than that, not just these two subjects, this person and this person's creation. I'm not just talking about Jesus and marijuana. I'm talking about many things because this is something that, we all deal with. We all have change. We can accept it or we cannot accept it. How we change is up to us, really. It's, uh, it shouldn't be forced upon you because then it's not really change. It's, it's force. So I brought metanoia up because... Actually, I'm going to read it to you right now. This is John, Gospel according to John, chapter 9. This is pretty interesting. There's a lot going on in this. Now, what happened in chapter 8 was this. Jesus was in the temple, and in the temple in Jerusalem, of course, and some religious leaders 
brought a woman who was having sex with a man and put her right in front of him and said, hey, she's been caught having sex with a man. The law says we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? And this is not a new story. This is something a lot of people know. And as they're speaking, Jesus bends down and he writes on the ground. He's just writing on the ground. It's not a dirt floor. He's in the temple. There's stones probably on the floor, right? You'd imagine there'd be stones on the floor. And as they're telling him, as the religious leaders are telling Jesus, what are you going to do? Are you going gonna to stone this woman? Because if you stone her, then you're obeying the law. And then we can say, how loving are you? You're not who you say you are. And if you say, don't worry about it, well, then you're not upholding the law that everybody here has been told to uphold. And I don't think it's an accident that it was written that Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground. Because, like I said, stone tablets, right? And that's what the Ten Commandments are on. Jesus is the one who provided, gave the Ten Commandments to creation. And creation is turning around and saying, hey, you can obey the law? And the answer he gives them is, is not a yes or no question. It's a, which one of you, whoever, whoever of you is without sin, you can throw the first stone. And it's written this way. They all left beginning with the oldest. And that's interesting because, well, I'll just leave it at that. That's interesting. Think about that beginning with the oldest. <clears throat> now, so now we're, that was in chapter 8, John chapter 8. So now we're rolling into to John chapter 9. <clears throat> As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? That's an interesting question right there. What did they do to deserve this punishment? Because they're going by the law, right? They're going by the law. And probably going by some other things as well. Probably going by some superstitions and whatever else they're believing. Jesus answered, neither this man sinned nor his parents, but so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must carry out the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spit on the ground and made mud from the saliva and applied the mud to, the, to his eyes and said to him, go and wash in the, the pool of Siloam, which is translated as sent, S-E-N-T. So he left and washed and came back seeing. So the neighbors and those who, the so the neighbors, people who live next to him, and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. The man himself kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, I, he's saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? How then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man who is called Jesus made mud and spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So, it went, so I went away and washed, and I received sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. 
they brought the man who was previously blind to the Pharisees. Now, those are religious leaders. Now, it was a Sabbath on the day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied mud to my eyes, and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was dissension among, the men, among them. So they said again to the man who was blind, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? That's interesting. All these questions. And then they finally get to the say, well, what do you say about him? This man is not from, so I'm sorry. <laughs> Lost my spot on my page there. Oh, that's unfortunate. All right, I got my spot back. <laughs> All right, so they said, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. He is a prophet. The people then did not believe it about him, that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. And they questioned them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents then answered and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the people for the laws or for the uh, for the leaders had already reached the decision that if anyone confessed Jesus to be Christ, he was to be excommunicated from the synagogue. So there's social pressure. If you believe this person, you believe Jesus, you'll be cut off from the synagogue cut off from your religion, cut off from, if your family believes, your family. If your friends believe, your friends. That is, that's social pressure. That's for sure social pressure. <clears throat> it was for this reason that his parents said, he is of age, ask him. They don't want to answer. They don't want to answer. They don't want to give an answer because there's a negative stigma around Jesus to the religious leaders. Mostly to the religious leaders. Sure, there were citizens that didn't believe in him too. But the citizens were not the ones conspiring against him. The religious leaders were because they had the power and the authority. Or that, they had the authority. For, they had the authority that gives them the power to take actions that normal citizens cannot take. Okay, so I'm going to go with that again. It was for this reason that his parents said, he is of age, ask him. For a second time, they summoned the man, a second time, who had been born blind, and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, 
What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? They spoke abusively to him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, well, here is the amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. Now, that's interesting. He says, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he listened to that man, obviously. But if someone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now, that's interesting. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if you look at the law, everybody falls into that category. So, you have to remember, this is this human, this is this man speaking and it's being recorded for us to understand, to hear, to understand and read. Not God speaking. It's this man speaking. Okay. <clears throat> we know that God does not listen to sinners. And the men spoke abusively to him. And said, we are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. They went back to the law. They went back to their performance. And they're wondering if his performance meets their standard for them to believe in him. To, to believe him that he's telling the truth. And the thing is, they don't even want to believe him that he's telling the truth. An interesting set of questions. Lots of stuff going on right there. Then it's followed up with, but if someone is God-fearing and does his will... He listens to him. Goes back to performance. But if you go back to the beginning of this, this person did nothing to perform for his sight. We'll go back to the beginning real quick, okay? As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who had been born blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, born blind from birth, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man sinned nor his parents, but so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So, it's interesting that this blind man who can now see is telling the Pharisees that that uh, here's the amazing thing that you do not know where he is from and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners but he does. But if someone is God-fearing and does his will he listens to him. That's his thought on it. 
But what did he do? He did nothing, but he did believe. He obviously believed. He obviously believed. He changed his mind and believed that Jesus could do what he said he could do. Or that Jesus is who he says he is. And cares and loves for people the way he says he cares and loves for people. The metanoia, change your mind. All right. Since the beginning of a time has never been heard that anyone opened his eyes, anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, they being the religious leaders, you were born entirely in sins, and yet you are teaching us. So they put the man out. Jesus heard that they had put the man out, and upon finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered by saying, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Interesting. And he said, I believe, Lord, and he worshiped Jesus. Those who were with him from the Pharisees, so he's got people with him, and they're listening. Those who were with him from the Pharisees heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you maintain that you see, your sin remains. That's interesting. That's interesting. And remember, the scripture is dynamic. It is not static. Scripture is dynamic. Metanoia, change your mind. Change your mind about the way you think of Jesus. Change your mind about the way you think of creation. Plants animals, and most importantly, people. Change your mind about how you think of Jesus, people, plants, and animals. And remember that scripture is dynamic. It is not static. You know, <clears throat> There's some things that you can observe about life and people. When you see a human being, child or adult, and it looks like they're seizing, you can see that they're actually like, it seems like they're seizing, but they're walking. They're walking and just, it's the body is out of control. Obviously, medications are not helping that effectively. many children and adults report positive impacts from the marijuana plant. And not just seizures, but many ailments and Ill diseases and illnesses. 
And to think that that plant is somehow religiously evil and should not be used by anybody. If you get caught using it, hard time. Three strikes, you're out. Change your mind about that. The creator of life, the creator of life, created that plant and created you and me and everything that will come from you and me. Metanoia, change your mind. Now, uh, I just published an episode with Owen Smith out of Canada. It was, it was a really good conversation. I like talking with Owen. It was, it was nice. It was really cool. And um, we were talking about translations and stuff. And I brought up how sometimes translators and interpreters can make Jesus sound mean to people that he's saying he loves. And change your mind about that. You have to take my word for it. Look it up. Research. Research for yourself in the scripture and anywhere and wherever else you go. Research for yourself in scripture too. And see if those things line up. See if they line up. See if they line up that Jesus will hurt you because you need to learn a lesson. See if that lines up in Scripture, in the New Testament. Existentialism, daily needs, daily experiences, choice. It's a mood. It becomes a mood. It's a choice. It has some philosophical outworkings. But when you walk them all back, it comes to a mood. That's interesting. Because moods can be determined. Change your mind. Metanoia. Metanoia. Is Jesus who he says he is? And does he love you the way he says he loves you? Yeah. The fascinating, fascinating world we have. Fascinating life. It's an amazing time to be alive. A lot of change is happening all around us. How do we trust the decisions we make? Where do we get that confidence from? A lot of different places. We go to a lot of different places. Change your mind about... If you don't like going to the Bible, it's my hope and prayer. And I'll say, please change your mind about that. Because I didn't like going to it for a while, a long while either. When I read it, it sounded, it just, it, it just felt like a finger saying, you know, you don't measure up to any of this stuff. But you can try. But you can try. 
And that's what I want you to ask you to change your mind about as well. Is if you approach the Bible that way, change your mind about that. Think of it like a picture book. You put the pictures in your mind. If you're going to paint that picture, for if it's whether you're reading scripture or anything, you want it to be planted in love. You want there to be forgiveness. You want there to be mercy. You want there to be grace. All from a place of love. And you know what? We're given things along on this earth to help us. Because we all need help. You have a crisis of some type. Health. Financial relationship. You want help. You want peace. You want that pain to stop. That's my hope, prayer, and I'll even say please that you change your mind about going to Jesus when you need help. Because too many pastors have made people afraid of them. Put up false barriers between creation and creator. And I mean people, plants, and animals, and creator. Change part one, the present, the present, the present. What do you believe about a thing that you trust? Whatever it is you trust, what do you believe about that thing? How do you trust it? How do you come to have confidence in it? Change part one, the present. All right. <clears throat> this is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres. And I love y'all.